Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Socceroos are through to the knockout rounds of the World Cup and the Gegenpod has two former stars here to break it all down. We're joined by Tommy Orr and Scott McDonald to go over the Denmark game, what lies ahead with Argentina, all the other results overnight at the World Cup and what this could do for the game in Australia. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. This is the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Let's get in to the Gegenpod. Yeah, no need for a preamble, just one of the best mornings for fans of football in Australia. We have two Socceroos on the show, Tommy Orr and Scott McDonald. Scott, wow. Where do we even begin? Exactly, wow. Um, Unbelievable. History makers. Um, Absolutely wonderful. It's been amazing morning, not a lot of sleep, uh, a lot of emotion for everyone, raw emotion and... uh, Something that quite frankly, look, I don't think any of us would have believed that we would have done this. Um, I think there's only one guy that probably believed that we were going to do this, and that's the bloke that you know put the money on the Socceroos to win the World Cup um, because <laughs> it's been certainly backs to the wall for this group. Um, the negativity surrounding it, we've all been there a little bit in terms of the build-up, whether that been through the World Cup campaign, qualification stages, or even just before the tournament. Um and then even after the first game, um, to think, uh, you know, what's our chances? Absolutely zero after off the back of that performance. But it's, you know, t- to put that in, in mind as well, that first performance um, and, and getting beat so heavily, to come back from that and, like I said, to create history, um, it's wonderful. And I, and I touched on it um, after the game with, with my brother and a couple of others. But it's nice because, you know, I've got kids too. I've got my son. And, and I'm hopeful that, you know, not just my son, but, but other kids now are looking to this generation, are looking to these players um, as players that they're going to look up to now uh, and want to be like, um, because we, we've done that very much so in the past. Um, with the golden generation, we talk about them a lot and we still will, because for me, it would be very hard to beat them overall as, as the best footballing group we're ever going to have. However, it's nice now that we can move forward we've pressed almost that reset button again um and we have to take full advantage of it i mean you're pretty much echoing my thoughts exactly i mean it hasn't really sunken in yet what kind of happened a few hours ago and obviously we're all running off not much sleep and these types of things but yeah i mean unbelievable effort and it's um yeah i mean like scotty mentioned nobody really expected them in the whole tournament but especially this morning to to do it and do it so well as well, to play so well. In the second half, I thought we were fantastic. And obviously we suffered a bit at the start of the game, but the the way we kind of rode through that tough period and then, you know, kept fighting for every ball, we, we had pressure on them the whole game. I think the physical output from the players this morning was incredible. And it's, I mean, yeah, I thought I thought we deserved it. And it was just, it's an amazing, amazing feeling to uh, to be in the knockout stages of a World Cup again. 
Well, before we get on to big picture, which you did touch on there, Scott, let's talk about what happened within the 90 and stoppage time because, Tommy, you've touched on there the physicality of the game but also the toll that it took. The Players like Jackson Irvine, Craig Goodwin, Riley McGree at times, everyone had their moments where they looked physically exhausted. So how much of this was, as Graham Arnold promised in his pre-game comments, a mind-over-body situation? Everybody's obviously bought into what Arnie's doing Um you know, so wholeheartedly and, um, I mean, yeah, tactically as well, I think, you know, Arnie's been pretty much got a spot on, especially in the last two games. And I think that, you know, our combativeness and these types of things, it's allowed, you know, that to come to the fore. I think that in the first game, tactically, we'll probably out, outplayed a bit. But, you know, the way that even today, you know, making that change at half time. Obviously, Craig Goodwin, as you mentioned, was probably dead on his feet after his effort in the last few games. And to bring in Bacchus, who, who was unbelievable as well in the second half, I mean, he didn't really... Arnie didn't, hasn't really put a foot wrong at all. And, um, yeah, obviously, like you said, the, the boys were dead on their feet. But I think that, you know, the longer the game kind of went on, we just got more and more belief. And obviously, when Leckie scored that fantastic goal, I think that would have given everyone a bit of a second wind as well. And uh, a wind in our sails, so... I mean, yeah, it was an unbelievable effort and we did suffer at times, especially in the first half an hour. And I think that, you know, our last ditch defending in those situations as well was, um, yeah, was, was unbelievable. Look, for me, the, the shape in the organisation uh, throughout this tournament has been second to none. Um, look, Riley McGree did an exceptional job um, playing in behind Mitch Duke uh, against Tunisia. I thought Jackson Irvine was even better um, in that second half and I think that was a big reason uh, the Socceroos looked a lot better along with uh, Bacchus coming on for his energy which I know all about because I, I played with him at Western Sydney and what he does technically he's getting better all the time as well and I thought he was excellent in terms of how he kept the ball when he came on as well but it just freed up Jackson Irvine you could just sense that there was a lot more attacking intent from, from the Socceroos and that he was able to maraud a little bit further forward yes he lost it a few times and I talked about that before the game that it was going to be difficult if we kept giving the ball away and basketball it but our shape allowed us to frustrate their mark and they ran out of ideas after those first 20 minutes where they come at us all guns blazing let's be honest though they never really had a clear clear cut chance the whole game now there's two ways to look at that that Denmark are poor or however the Socceroos were very very good uh, and I'd like to go with the second the latter with that and, and in terms of the Socceroos defensively gave them nothing. They didn't get a sniff all night uh, at Matty Ryan's goal. Um, and we looked at the possession stats afterwards, only 28% possession, but who cares really? When you win a game of football, there's more than one way to win a game of football. And, and the Socceroos have dug deep throughout this tournament because they know they might not have the exceptional talent uh, you know, at, at the helm or that one individual special guy that's going to turn it into magic. We've had those moments though, in Duke and in Leckie and... Um, it's been special and, and who's to say that it can't happen again? Um, when you get to this part of the tournament, magical things happen and we've seen some strange results already in this tournament. Um, so I'm certainly not going to back against Socceroos uh, in the next one either. So you mentioned uh, Denmark's possession there and how ineffective they were. 548 passes turned into just three shots on target. Now, considering that Kai Rolls and Harry Suter hadn't played alongside each other in a defensive partnership until the France game. What does it say about how quickly they've been able to bond together as a backline, but also the midfield protection that they received as well in order to, as you say, frustrate the Danes? Well, well look, I think it's 
you, you've got to give uh, credit where credit's due to Graham Arnold in terms of, you know, the work that he's put in in the short space of time. You know, even after the the France game, it could have went all ends up. You know, because of the the goals they conceded, and they looked a bit shaky in, in moments against the French. Uh, particularly with with crosses coming in the box, you felt that that could be a possible weak point because the players hadn't played a lot together and the connection wasn't there, um, and they hadn't played a lot of minutes leading into this. Um, but look, they've been excellent. Um, but the unit in front of them has allowed them to be protected a lot at times. I felt first twenty minutes, they broke our lines. They were playing through us a little bit more, the uh, the Danes, and that was causing us problems. They were going direct into Braithwaite. No one was really coming with him. He was able to, you know, to, to help balls on, hold it up, get others into the game. As the game went on, we dealt with that better. We got smarter. Um, we got tighter. Uh, and, and they stopped doing it. They stopped coming through the middle of us. There was a real disconnection between their back four and their midfield. And all of a sudden, there was no spaces there. Then you got Hjoiberg and uh, Eriksson coming all the way back, like centre-backs, to receive the ball. If you... If you if you're Australia, I usually you get the cigar out. It's like, fine, you're all in front of us. We're happy. We're happy you're in front of us. If you're going to play in between the lines and cause us issues, now we've got a problem. Because then do we go, do we stay? Uh, and they didn't do enough of that, the Danes, I felt. They went side to side. They had a few diags. Um, and once we got to groups for not being too narrow as a back four, with Dejanak particularly in the first half, that was the, the outlet. Um, second half, we didn't have those issues. We addressed everything at half time, and we looked a better unit. Yeah, I think exactly right. And I think that, like you mentioned, you know, um, that the players in front of our back four as well doing a lot of the, the, the work to protect our back four. I think if you look at someone like Mitch Duke and the shifts he's putting in, you know, it really is genuinely defending from the front. So we have 11 players, you know, defending and 11 players attacking. I think that's the thing about this Australia team. You know, there's obviously been some brilliant individual performances, but everybody's, you know, putting their body on the line for every inch of the game and you know that we really are genuinely playing um yeah as a an amazing team like collectively and um you mentioned as well scotty about how compact we were and i think that you know um the danish fullbacks they were probably the the one uh you know the 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 players that had the most time and opportunity on the ball but they're probably the players that you know that they, they they weren't going to hurt us so we were happy for them to play into those wide areas and um, as you mentioned in the first 20 minutes when they were playing through the middle, they looked a lot more dangerous. And I think if you compare that with, with the France game, for example, you know, with Mbappe and De, uh, Dembele, they're, they're wide players, are they, are they dangerous players? So potentially in that game, we probably could have afforded um, not, to, not to let them go wide so easily. So I think that, you know, the way, the way Arnie set us up for, for this game was fantastic, but the boys, to in order to, yeah, to pull it off and... Um, you know, any crosses into the box, which was sort of what they were resorting to at the end, obviously. Uh, you know, Rolsey and, and Harry Suter was just going to eat them up every day. So I think that, you know, we made them play into our hands and obviously it got our rewards. In the Nations League in both June and September, uh, the Australia staff made a point of uh, mentioning that Rene Muhlenstein, one of Arnie's assistants, was going to the Nations League. France were playing Denmark. It was uh, convenient for our group that he got to see them in person. Do you feel as though the complementary pieces of the coaching team, Graham Arnold with the mental side, how he handles the media, and maybe his backroom staff with some of the preparation they did, and as much as we tried to tap into what goes on behind the scenes yesterday, Scott, with uh, Michael Zullo, um, they have maybe kept their cards adequately close to their chest on how they've prepared for these opponents? 
Yeah, of course. They, they would have done it di- diligently. You know, that's that's without question. Ray um, Milnstein's a very, very experienced coach as well. You know, been at Manchester United and of the likes, been his own head coach within the Premier League. Is also you know, a very good technical coach by all means. Um, Graham Arnold does, like you said, the man management really, really well. Um, and, and they were more than prepared. However, you can be prepared as a, as a coach and know everything. Um, but it's one thing you knowing it. It's the, it's another, the individuals within the team doing it and knowing it and, and executing it. Um, and that's the most important thing. And how do you do that? You, you do that by the buy-in, um, by the players and who wants to do it, who wants to be there, who's trustworthy. And only you know that as a coaching staff, who those people are, right? And you pick them and you go with them um, and they're the ones you trust and they feel that trust back. And I think that that's certainly uh, seen for me within this squad that the trust element of the group um, is very, very strong. You know, within not just the players, but all the coaching staff and everyone. It's a, it takes a whole team to be successful. And it's, uh, you know, the Socceroos have got an unbelievable backroom staff and what they do for the players as well. And if you look at anything of, you know, the, the clips to, to look where they're actually training and the facilities that they have, thanks to obviously Timmy Cahill's influence, uh, they've got everything they need to succeed as well. It's, it's wonderful to see. And um, as they go along, I think because you've been together a lot longer, yes, the camaraderie builds, but also you're able to do a lot more with them and be more technical and tactical um, because you're spending the time together. So I think no matter what, we're going to look so much better as a group because a lot of these boys are going to continue to play past this World Cup too. So I think uh, it bodes well for for the national team and, and for everyone involved. Let's get to the goal scorer, Matthew Leckie. Uh, this moment, Scott, how does it stack up against Tim Cahill's second against Japan and Kaiserslautern, Tim Cahill's volley against the Netherlands? Is this now the best goal an Australian has ever scored at the World Cup? Arguably with Harry, he's the most important. Um, it will go up uh, as, as much shown as, as any of them, uh, and even Johnny's, Johnny A's uh, penalty kick, because uh, the way that it's been done and the belief of it or, or the disbelief of it you know, and how it's come around, um, it's iconic um, because here's 11 boys that were totally unfancied by a nation, um, 11 plus, you know, I go on about the 11 at start, but the whole squad um, and what they've been able to achieve, they've achieved more than anyone else because they've managed to get two wins at a World Cup. No other team has done that in the past. You know, the... 2006 we got four points um this this time around we've got six and they've kept two clean sheets as well we only had one clean sheet ever in a world cup game till this campaign and and now they've got two as well so they are history makers in their own right and um this goal is iconic and it's a wonderful goal as well because if you look at it when he receives the ball uh, it's a wonderful weighted pass from from riley mcgree in the first place good run um arcs he's run well He's got two defenders to take on. He's looking for support. He's actually pointing, get up. Um, but he realises there's no one there and, and he, he manages to work his magic um, and then to still have the composure. He's out on his feet by this point as well. You know, Leckie's knackered in terms of the, the work output that he's put in from the previous game to this game. Um, we talked about work ethic, but to have the, the ability to then set yourself in those circumstances, in that fatigue level, um, and and strike it with your weaker foot, 
and it's lovely because every striker likes it when it goes through people's legs. Because I told I tell young boys to to do that because a, a defender's always going to lunge, which means the goalie's unsighted. And, and and I felt that that was the case, and it was it was perfect, and it was right in the corner. Couldn't have, couldn't have wished for a better finish at that moment. Yeah, I think, like Scotty just said, I think the context of this one, you know, the stakes that were on, you know, and the the situation of the game, I think that, for me, it probably is the most important that I can remember. Um, and yeah, like Scotty said, the quality of the finish, um, I think obviously, yeah, the build-up was fantastic and the way he dribbled past the, the player, but the finish, it reminded me actually of um, Aloisi's goal against Japan to make it 3-1 uh, in, our, in our first World Cup win all those years ago. It had shades of, of that goal about it, but... Yeah, I mean, Leckie's always had these kind of moments of brilliance in him. So for him to get one, you know, when the boys needed it on a stage like this, um, yeah, I'm just so happy for him really because, um, yeah, I think that, you know, I think he sometimes cops a little bit of unfair criticism um, and, you know, all the boys in the team know what he offers and brings to the table. So for him to to show, you know, the world and show, show Australia and score such an important goal, I couldn't be happier for him. So, Tommy, you were a teammate of Matthew Leckie at the 2014 World Cup. He's someone that you've obviously shared the, the Socceroos locker room with and no doubt plenty of away trips to different far-flung parts of the world. Tell us about what he's like as a teammate and a person and about what this will mean for him. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I played with him for many years, obviously also in the young national teams, and um, we kind of broke through at the same time in our careers as well. So we, we, we go a long way back, but I mean... For me, you know, he's always been a player that the players that play with him, they appreciate his quality. And I think that, you know, it's not to say that he's not rated because he is very highly rated, but everybody is, everybody that has played with him really, really puts him high on a pedestal and they see the way he trains and, and, and how professional he is um, and, and, and what he brings to the team. You know, it's not everyone always talks about his physical output and don't get me wrong, that that's obviously a big part of the way he plays, but... He never shies away from anything. You know, he's always demanding the ball, uh, whether he makes a mistake or not, which he doesn't actually make too many. But even if he does, he keeps going. He's always there. And I think that, you know, he, he, he plays with that kind of courage. And I think that he sort of embodies everything about this Australia side and, and why they've been so successful in this tournament. And, I mean, for him to obviously score the important goal, but also just lead the, lead the way um, with, with his pressing and, you know, just his approach to the game and even the way he was talking in the press conference before the game, I think he's he's a real leader in the team. And um, uh, for me, it's just amazing to, to see um, him maybe get more of the appreciation that he probably has deserved his whole career. When you were in those youth national teams, did he talk much about his background or about wanting to play AFL? Because he comes from a part of Melbourne, uh, near Melton, uh, out in the, the western suburbs, which is more or less an Aussie rules hotbed, not known for producing association footballers. I mean, was, was that evident? Or by the time you met him, was football his clear number one? Yeah, well, I remember when he broke onto the scene that, um, you know, he, he, he was talking about how he hadn't played football for that long, actually. So he obviously had a natural talent. And, um, you know, I think I remember he, he's when he first played for Adelaide and he broke through in the A-League, you know, watching him play, he play, he was so fast and direct, but he, he didn't look like a player that had played for that long. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but just the way he approached the game, he, he it was... It was like he was seeing it through a different lens and obviously, you know, he went on to have an amazing career so far and he's, he's polished up his technique that um, to, to complement what he can offer physically. And I think now, you know, he wouldn't look out of place anywhere in any 
league in the world. Obviously, he had a fantastic Bundesliga career and he's at Melbourne City now. But, um, yeah, he, he's, he's a fairly softly or quiet guy. He doesn't really talk too much about himself. He's very down to earth. And I, th- I think that, you know, he endears himself to everybody in the team because he's he's you know he's always welcoming the new players in the team with welcome with open arms. Um, you, you can't really say a bad word about the guy, and um, yeah, on or off the pitch, he, I, I think honest is the best word I could use to describe him. And um, yeah, for, to have a player like that make you know be be the hero today is amazing. And yeah, like I said before, I'm just so happy for him. Now, I'm, I'm going to use Lecky as a case study for a little bit of blue sky dreaming here, Tommy, because when he was breaking through, obviously Melbourne, the A-League, was a one-team town, only victory. By the time he's at Adelaide, Melbourne Heart is only just coming in. So his home state kind of missed the boat on him. I mean, he was playing in the second tier in Victoria when he went to Adelaide United, and then obviously he launched his career overseas from there. I mean... Today is today the sort of day where you look at the size of the A-League, you look at the impending national second division, you look at the number of professional opportunities for players in this country, guys who might otherwise be juggling a day job and playing NPL on the weekends, something which uh, football couldn't twist your arm to do when you retired, might I add. But do, do, you, do, you look at, do you look at days like today and think the numbers are there, the passion is there, now let's, let's actually be ambitious about what we can build off the back of a, a great World Cup like this? Absolutely, and I think that, um, that the key word that kind of sticks out with, with your with your saying there is opportunity. You just need to give players opportunity, and I think that we've proven, you know, over the years that we, we can produce world class talent. Um, but there wasn't necessarily always the the system to to allow them to flourish or to allow them to be known. And you know, there's always going to be players that are late bloomers or fall between the cracks. You see it all over the world. It's not. I think that because he didn't get picked up by by the Melbourne sides, I don't think that's necessarily an indication of anything. But you would like to think that there's, you know, with the second division and these types of things, and you know, hopefully the A League can expand as well. That um, yeah, that there's less opportunity for people to slip between the cracks. And um, obviously, yeah, um, with the second division coming in, I think that's uh, and and you see now with the Mariners Academy as well, for example, and the players that they've produced uh, in the last few years that I feel like we're learning our lessons and we're losing less and less talent to other codes now as well. So I think that it's definitely heading in a good direction and hopefully this can be, as Scotty touched on before, a bit of a fork in the road moment where, you know, the young boys and girls at home watched the game this morning and want to go on to play for the Socceroos or play for the Matildas um, as opposed to, to playing other sports. So let's talk about the big picture. It was wild scenes at Federation Square in Melbourne yet again. We've got lobbying for live sites going on all around the country. Tommy, how exciting is it when the whistle goes and we get to see the aftermath and the flow-on effects that this has for football? This is so much bigger than 2006 even. It feels truly incredible. Yeah, I think, well, I think Graham Arnold said it in a press conference recently that, you know, the Socceroos and the Matildas, nothing brings the nation together like those, like those two teams. And I think, you know, our performance in this World Cup and, and the scenes that you're seeing in, in Melbourne and throughout the country show that. And, you know, the, the fact that the boys have backed it up and done so well, um, yeah, I mean, it's all, it's the talk of the town everywhere at the moment. And, you know, with the Women's World Cup coming in six months, I, th- I think it's just such an exciting time for football. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I can never remember seeing images like what we're seeing ever in Australia, to be honest. It feels like, you know, you're in Europe or, or something, watching a Champions League game or something like that. So, 
I mean, yeah, it's, it's amazing to see and hopefully we, this can be the start of building, um, you know, building the game in this country and be the start of uh, really, you know, football kind of challenging the other codes to, to break more into the mainstream in Australia. Now, I'm, I'm going to put that question to you. What would you love to see? Because the thing that is probably top of my wish list is I don't want to have to wait another 12 years for the scenes we've seen at Federation Square. I don't want the gap to be, you know, beating Serbia in 2010 or having to wait from 2006 until this morning to see, you know, George Street in Sydney packed with fans at four in the morning cheering like crazy. I want that to be every time the Socceroos play. I want that to be the Asian Cup next year. I want that to be our home qualifiers. I want that to be friendlies. But but that's me. What is at the top of your list of what you're thinking this can propel the game to do well obviously you know in terms of the national team what you're what you mentioned is obviously would be very exciting but for me it's the a-league i think that um you know it, it's an underappreciated league in australia and a lot of people talk about the, the quality of the overseas leagues and you know how, how the a-league's not you know not fit for purpose or it doesn't compare but i think that this tournament has proven and you know you look at the number of players in the Socceroos squad who are playing and who, who use the A-League as a platform to build their careers. And, you know, the likes of Matt Leckie, he's still playing in the A-League. So, I mean, for me, it's about, you know, I want to see full stadiums in the A-League. I want to see people going out and cheering on, you know, the Jamie McLarens, the Matt Leckies, these types of players. And um, I think that if, if we can grow the A-League um, and, and improve its popularity, then I think that a lot of the other um, problems that we have as a code will kind of, um, fix themselves. So for for me, you know, looking after the local product is is uh, yeah essential really. And Scotty, given this is going to give the game like a fresh start, not so much a clean slate, but a great launching pad to be so ambitious. What are you hoping to see grow out of moments like this morning and out of this World Cup run, however far it may go from here? Uh, infrastructure, infrastructure is the biggest thing for me. Having a, a national. Uh, training camp, training facility as well, where we call home. Uh, it's it, there's these plans, so-called, in the pipeline. I, we hear all these things all the time. Let's get it done. Let's have it. Let's let's have what the French have. Let's have what other nations have. They have a home. They have a hub, right? And then we can have our our, our youth products come through there as well. We don't have an Australian Institute of Sport now, so we need something of the likes. So if that needs to be. Uh, built through the marketing side of things and getting the finances and all through more state um, or government, uh, you know, funding. You know, sports minister was over there, so I already mentioned in one of the other pods, come on then, I dig deeper because we, we need you. We do, we do need you and we need uh, more sponsorship and, and everything else. The, like. the important part for me and Tommy will agree that far too many times, right, the A-Leagues will think, oh, this is great, our game will grow. But we do nothing about it. We don't help the cause. So they've got to get off their backsides and, and make sure that it grows. And, and they use this now as the platform to go and do it um, and not stagnate. Uh, because I think we've had previous experiences where we haven't um, sort of learned from those examples. And we need to uh, jump on it because we just don't know if this is going to happen again, guys. That's that's a fact. We've got to enjoy it while it's here. Enjoy the ride and, and try and make the most of it. And we thought we did that the last time and even when we won the Asian Cup, um, but the game hasn't grown. It's, it's gone you know, backward steps. So we need to make sure that this time that we do it right and, and it goes forward. 
You're listening to The Gegen Pod. After this short break, we'll talk about what lies ahead and also, apparently, there were three other games today. We'll talk about them too. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Gegen Pod. We're talking about the Socceroos road ahead and what happened in the World Cup overnight. Tommy Orr, let's take a look at Argentina's 2-0 win against Poland and put it in the context of that's who's waiting for Australia at 6am on Sunday morning. Uh, That's 6am Australian Eastern Daylight Time. So a better time slot unless you're in Perth. But uh, Argentina, they looked like the team tonight. I think many uh, pre-tournament favourites expected to see. They were completely dominant. It Probably could have been considerably more. Uh, the XG, 3.51 to 0.32. And just the shot map, it, it looks like there's dots all over the place. 23 total, 12 on target. This could have been way worse for Poland. They had 73% possession. This was the Argentina that many people expected to turn up at this World Cup. Absolutely. And I think that um, you obviously touched on it, you know, in the first two games that even though they beat Mexico, they were fairly underwhelming. And um, yeah, this morning they kind of silenced a lot of their critics. And I mean, to be honest, I'm really looking forward to to the game on Sunday morning. And I think that, you know, the way that Saudi played against them in the first game, they were in their faces. They didn't give them any time on the ball. I think that's sort of the blueprint that we need to take going into this game because, um, yeah, you see in our three performances, that's also the way we've been playing. And I think this morning, that's where Poland sort of missed the boat a little bit. And they were quite fortunate in the end to actually go through to, to the next round. But I think they gave them too much respect and too much time on the ball. And I think that, you know, with players of obvious quality and the quality that Argentina possess, if you give them time on the ball, they're going to punish you. So, um, yeah, I think that obviously the big question mark for the Socceroos going into this game will be physically, but... Um, can they back up and play with the same intensity? But I think that the way that we've been playing and you know the way we've been hounding the opposition, it, it bodes well for this game because it, it, it's proven in Argentina's first game that, that they don't like that. Well, let's talk about Australia's preparation. We've, we've always considered ourselves more or less uh, since the 90s and especially since the Sydney Olympics to be at the cutting edge of sports science, rehab, recovery, This is a huge three days, though, isn't it? Because you mentioned the first 20 minutes and how some of our team looked sluggish and, you know, many of the players looked as though three games in such a short period of time had caught up with them. It only gets harder from here. How how big... Take us inside Socceroos camp. Is this being micromanaged round the clock every minute of every day in order to be ready, whether it's spending time, um, you know, in, in ice baths, in a, in a chamber, in, in boots uh, or compression situations? Just how tough is it and what sort of uh, regime, especially the guys coming off full 90s again, going to be going through? 
Yeah, I mean, Scotty touched on it before, but, you know, the facilities that we've got are second to none at this tournament, and that definitely gives us a bit of an edge that other on other teams, I think. But, I mean, yeah, it's all about recovery at this point. I mean, you know, the, the blueprint is there. The boys sort of know what they have to do in these games. It's just about physically, you know, getting yourself up for the next game. And I think that... To be honest, I know that yeah, it, it, it's only it's only three days away this game too, so it's a bit of a shorter turnaround than the one we just had. But you have to also put it in context that you know Argentina is going to have the same turnaround, uh, even shorter. They they played after us tonight, but um, so obviously some of the shifts that our boys put in and the regimes that we're going through in the next few days will be grueling. And I mean, for me, you know, you saw in in the second half the way that Bacchus came in and. I thought that he was sensational and had a, had a was a was a big part in kind of us wrestling back the the momentum of the game. But you know, Arnie's got a, a whole fresh twelve players maybe up his, at his disposal as well. So it'll be interesting to see if he opts for any of those options. And you know, I'm I'm sure he's got a lot of trust in all those players. And on surface value, it might seem like a a, a shock to drop some of the players that have done so well so far. But I think that. Um, playing with the energy that we have so far this tournament is the first non-negotiable. I think that if we if our energy drops, then I think we'll find it difficult. So for me, yeah, if, if you know, in the next two or three days, we, obviously, hopefully, most of the boys can pull up all right and be ready to go again. But if there's one or two that, that aren't, then you probably have to look at other options. Now, tactically, Denmark had 83% pass accuracy, but tellingly, 49 long balls, 56% completed, only four accurate crosses at 15% completion. So even though Australia didn't go and win the ball back a huge amount, Denmark did volunteer the ball back to us quite a lot. I suspect that might be a bit different against Argentina. Do we have to think about who we pick in our midfield to try and win the ball back at points, or is this going to be a pure containment and counter sort of a setup? Yeah, I was watching Argentina before, and the thing that struck me is, you know, you you look at Denmark and they were whipping... You know, crosses into the box and Kai Rolls and Sutar were just heading them away and it was all fairly comfortable but if you remember the first game against France when, when they, were, they were getting into those crossing positions they were cutting the ball back they'd obviously done their homework and they knew the, the physical you know, beasts that we had in the box and they didn't really want to cross the ball too much obviously Giroud did get that one goal but generally they were looking to cut the ball back and that's exactly what Argentina was doing this morning so um, you know having the numbers in the box in terms of the midfield tracking back and making sure that you have, you know, not just the two centre-halves in there will be crucial against Argentina because I don't think they're going to be the team, like you mentioned, to just, you know, put hopeful crosses into the box. They're going to try and make, you know, small combinations in and around that box. So I think that, like we touched on earlier, the fact that we were so compact tonight and we forced them into wide areas, I think that's definitely going to be a focus again and not allowing them to play through the middle. Are there any selections that come to mind? Or given that Graham Arnold more or less rolled with uh, the similar team and is stuck with the guys that have got the job done, if they can yep. physically go, or even if they can't, if he can get in their heads and convince them that they can physically yeah. go, he'll tell them that they can. Yeah, I, I mean, not, there's no obvious um, changes that I can see. I think a lot will depend on how the boys pull up physically, but... I thought uh, Milos Dejanek was fantastic at right back, so I'd probably expect him to retain that spot. And, I mean, you know, you look at Argentina and Aziz Behic tonight, I thought he was unbelievable as well. And he was maybe maybe our best performer, um, yeah, against the Danes. But you look at the game 
coming up against Argentina and he's going to have uh, Di Maria um, yeah, to, to deal with. So it's going to be a completely different proposition. And I think that the thing that we did so well tonight as well was um, obviously Craig Goodwin in the first half, but Matt Leckie for, for most of the game, he, he was doubling up on their wide players. Um, so, you know, Aziz Behic was rarely left one against one. There was always two defenders there at least, or it was Aaron Moy coming across to cover or Jackson Irvine. And I think that's going to be crucial um, against, the, against Argentina because we know that they have that individual quality to, to beat players one against one. So minimising the, the amount of times they can isolate your fullbacks one against one will be really important. And to do that takes energy. So it takes, you know, a lot, a lot of running and a lot of ground to, to be covered. So for me, I think that, you know, if the boys that played tonight pull up okay, I expect Arnie to probably go with them. But, you know, I think the boys will need to be honest if, if they're, you know, even if they're only 80%. Um, that, that, that's yeah. It, it's it's a tough ask when you're not when you're even if you're slightly off to to, to be able to, to do that against teams of Argentina's quality. So um, yeah, I mean it's really difficult to, to pinpoint individuals, but you know Jamie McLaren, his influence off the bench has been amazing too. So if he players like him were were called upon, I think they would do a fantastic job as well. Let's talk about Arnie's approach. Before Denmark, he said we talk about us. If we spend too much time focusing on the opposition, we're doing something wrong. Is this the time to flip it a little and play on the pressure that Argentina are carrying, but particularly Leo Messi is carrying? Would Arnie relish the chance to stir Argentina, maybe to amp up the pressure? You know, we're just Australia, they're Argentina, they're expected to win, we're an underdog. Or do you think he will continue to play the straight bat and say we only talk about us? Because I do feel as though the weight of the world is on Messi's shoulders. Is there not an opportunity here to needle them a little bit or is that poking the bear? Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of both here. And I think that, um, you know, Arnie's focus being on Australia or on our own job at hand so much has kind of been empowering for the players. So I probably don't expect him to change that too much. I mean, it's obvious that Argentina is going to be the favourite and all the pressure will be on them. But um, I think the players know that. They probably don't need to be told that. I think that Arnie will... Uh, make sure that they 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 stay focused, but that they go in with the belief. I think the belief is the thing that has been a good point of difference. Um, you know, historically, it's always been in these types of games things haven't quite seemed to go on our way. But um, I don't actually think it's rubber the green either. I think that we, it, it's the belief that we've we've had in this game, and I'm sure that Arnie's focus and preparation for this game and the narrative that he sets will be around making sure that we we have belief going into this game. So. However, he kind of decides is the, is the best way to, to keep that belief. I'm sure that will be his main priority. Now, we heard from Michael Zullo yesterday that Graham Arnold refused to call France France. He called them the Blues. And then we heard uh, the anecdote about how uh, when he was coach of Sydney FC, he used to edit the word victory out of Melbourne Victory's crest. So, Tommy, do you reckon that when they talk about preparing to take on Leo Messi... Arnie will just refer to him as the little fella or will will they give Messi the respect he he needs because at the end of the day it's Messi and, and you need a special plan for him. Yeah, I mean, you look at Argentina and obviously Messi's pulling the strings behind most of the attacks that they that they kind of come up with and he's, you know, he's behind everything really. So I, I th- I, there's no doubt in my mind that there'll be some special attention given to how we can stop that from, you know, being a problem for us. But how Arnie kind of labels it, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he's going to, you know, call him Messi or just refer to him as the number 10 or whatever he's going to do. But 
I mean, I have no doubt that he'll be coming up with a plan to minimise the impact that he can have because, I mean, that that's going to be central to us getting a good result in the next game is, is a way to stop him. So, yeah, the narrative that he wants to put on it or that, you know, he, he, he gives to the team, I'm not sure, but I think there'll definitely be a plan. Yeah, it's a difficult question, that one, and a difficult one to answer as a, as a coach, what you do in that scenario and situation. Do you focus on him? Do you... Uh, you know, have an analysis. You know, for the players, there will be analysis. However, do you focus too much on it and the one individual, or about what Argentina are doing to try and get him on it? And I think the way as the Socceroos are playing anyway, it really nullifies a lot of the spaces that are there for Lionel Messi. Um, and we know that Lionel Messi isn't the player that he once was either. You know, he's he's not taking on two and three opponents and taking player after player out the game, which causes you issues. Um, he's trying to play around you and trying to create. Uh, space for others and that's I think what we've got to be really aware of as well in terms of that space for the for the others and not get bogged down too much in, in what Messi is or or, or can be um, we've got to be really vigilant about the other things around that and in terms of the spaces that he's creating for others um, and that's going to be the biggest uh, biggest worry for me going into this game and, and something we need to to be careful on. We expected today to be a day where Denmark wouldn't give us the ball back. Uh, and to be honest, they did quite a lot with some of the long balls and the crossing, even with the possession they had. Do you pick an Australian team that can win the ball back off Argentina? Or is it about contain and counter, even conceding that actually winning the ball back off them may be incredibly difficult? Look, it'll be, it'll be more difficult than it was against the Danes because they'll play through us. They will try and play through us as well as go wide. They have better probably individual talent in those wider areas as well with the likes of Di Maria. Um, so for me, that, that there's no easy way out with this. However, he, I, I think it's been proven already. Graham's not going to change his team three, four changes. You know, We may see Backus come in um, and Jackson Irvine play a little bit higher to support Mitch Duke. That, that's something that I really took note of in that second half, like I talked about, that it, it improved as I felt. However... You know, Craig Goodwin for me as well has been excellent. Um, we need to wait and see if that was just a tactical substitution or not. Um, from my perspective, if, if he's going to be fit, because if he is, then I, I think he, he gives us such a threat with set pieces and, and of the like. So there's, there's going to be one or two difficult ones. Dejanak as well at right back um, has come in. We've used three different right backs now. What, what does he go there? Um but for me, there's nothing to fear now. Um, there, there never was for this group. However, things go on the line when you can create history. That They've made that now. They can they can rest a little bit more and enjoy this process. Um, but also, they'll want to win. They'll want to create their own history even further. Um, but they can go and enjoy it doing it. And I think that I think this team, and, and I call it a team because I think that's the biggest, probably the, the best team we've had in terms of that ethic and, and what they are. You can see that within them. You can see that with what Graham's growing um, throughout this campaign um, and that backs to the wall and siege mentality, which I absolutely love because you want to be part of it. You want to be inside there knowing exactly what's going on because we don't. And that's the beauty of it. We don't because that's what he wants. He wants to create that for that group and it's special. And they'll always remember that and they'll always remember these moments right now. So... Um, you know it's going to be difficult, but they'll go again. I, I thought they would, I thought they would sort of tire and 
uh, it'd be difficult against the Danes and they wouldn't be up to it. Uh, but they proved me wrong in that sense and they kept going to the end and the Danes gave them something to go and work for. And if the you know if Australia can hang in there and frustrate Argentina, we can do what Saudi did. You know, we've played Saudi on many occasions. Why not? Um, can we frustrate them and, and you know, make them run out of ideas like we did the Danes, like the Saudis did against Argentina. They ran out of ideas. You could tell with 20 minutes to go in that game that Argentina weren't going to score. They just didn't have an answer. So we have to do the same. We have to grow into the game and believe like we did against the Danes. And I think if we can do that, then we have a chance. As nice as it is to be in the Australia bubble because our World Cup continues, there were other games this morning. We've touched on Argentina's win against Poland. We also had Mexico agonisingly close to leapfrogging Poland, but a late goal for the Saudis meant they missed out. They were at that point in time going to miss out on yellow card count, the fair play rule, would you believe, because everything else was tied up. Um, In the aftermath, did either of you catch this game? I I was watching it with a couple of uh, people of Polish heritage in here at to sport who were barracking incredibly hard uh, when the Saudis pegged back that consolation goal. Um, Saudis tournament's over, even though they beat Argentina. Poland go through. I mean, is there much to say about Mexico here? They they didn't bring their best football to this tournament and they go home as well. Yeah, look, it's, it, it definitely is a disappointing uh, World Cup campaign for Mexico. You know, they've, they've qualified for the round of 16. The last seven occasions they've been at, at World Cup. So for them as a nation... Going into this, there was a lot of hope and expectation that they were going to do well at this tournament uh, and challenge Argentina in this group, and they, and they failed to do so. And you know, um, they, they, they've really failed to you know make their mark and score goals until this you know this last game. They usually bring us excitement and something of the unknown uh, for particularly the likes of you know us guys, but they, they've not brought that here uh, on this occasion. And it's been such a tight group, though, hasn't it? From from uh, you know the first fixtures and and in terms of what they caused in in upsets with with Saudi, you know winning that game, um, it's been topsy turvy right to the end there and the drama that we've had right at the end and would that be, would that have been a first uh, a team going through on uh, you know yellow cards uh, second time second time wow so you know that, that that would have been incredible however it didn't happen which I'm 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 pretty glad about actually in the end because it's. It's a pretty rubbish way to go out of a World Cup, isn't it? If you're the team, how'd you get knocked out? Oh, we we had more yellow cards than the opposition, and they got through. So it's not something you think about as a football player. But um, you know, it's crazy to think that that could have happened, but it didn't. Um, and look, Lewandowski gets the other another opportunity to to score, you know, in a World Cup because this this will probably potentially be his last. And you know, I know I know a lot of polls too, and you know they're very passionate about their team, and and they'll just be absolutely elated that they got through this morning. Yeah, they obviously threw everything at it in the last kind of twenty minutes of that game this morning, and you know, seeing following both of the scores simultaneously, it was yeah. I, I mean, I can't even imagine being a fan of of either of those sides of Mexico or Poland. It would have been you know heart and mouth moments for the whole game there. But um, yeah, I thought that. I thought Poland was a little bit fortunate actually you know Argentina missed some big chances at the end and I think they really would have been kicking themselves because you know Mexico I'm sure was aware of the score um, in in the Poland games they probably threw everything at it in the last you know five ten minutes and conceded late so I mean yeah it it is fine margins in, in these types of things and I think Poland can consider themselves a little bit lucky to go through. And, of course, they'll play France. France, who lost to Tunisia. Now, Antoine Griezmann thought he'd equalised in the 98th minute. 
Um, however, that was ruled out due to VAR, and then it was the full-time whistle. For a few moments there, Tunisia, of course, were above Australia in the group. They'd taken the lead through Wabi Khazri just before Matthew Leckie scored his goal for Australia. Tunisia go home. They proved to be tough customers. It's safe to say that Australia's win against Tunisia looks even better now in retrospect that they've beaten the French, even though it was a considerably rotated French team. They're a deep squad. Yeah, absolutely, Tommy. You touch on there. We, we we kept it in our own hands because what a way that would have been out. to talk about yellow card. What a way that would have been out for, uh, for us to go out. You know, getting a getting that draw. That you know, if we were to get a draw uh, and still be out of the tournament uh, because Tunisia won that game, it would have been devastating for for everyone and for the players alike. Um, look, I think if we were doing this pod for Tunisia um, and we were talking apart, you know, from their nation. Uh, you know, the, the manager's almost <laughs> eating a little bit of humble pie. Not starting Kazri in the first game of the tournament. <laughs> yes, they get a draw. Only comes on for 20 minutes against us. And I thought he made a massive difference to them as a team when he come on and the danger that he caused. And he goes and scores a winner in the in the in the last game against France, being that it's his third goal in a World Cup campaign as well. Yes, he didn't play a lot of minutes for Montpellier, but if you're looking at it from a Tunisian perspective, uh, a lot of the supporters will be pretty upset that, you know, the potential of maybe if he had started the the other two games, they would have been in a different position. Um, But as it was, um, they won that game, but it it was irrelevant in the end because we did our job. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, it it goes to show how well we did play against them and how we nullified them because I think that, you know, what Tunisia did so well against Denmark in their first game and against France this morning was they kind of, it was the energy that they played with and we nullified that completely. We not only matched the energy that they came to our game with, but tactically they didn't really have an answer. So as you said, we, we it, it really does kind of enhance or make our performance against Tunisia seem even better. But I mean, if you look at the France game this morning, I think that, you know, it was definitely a tale of, you know, two French teams and as soon as you saw Griezmann and Mbappe come on the French team looked completely different and they took complete control of the game and created chances so I mean it's not you know although on surface value it might seem a shock result you know if you take away some of France's world-class talent it was always going to be a bit of a more winnable game I guess for, for Tunisia and I think the pleasing thing from our perspective is, you know, we didn't rely on, on the French to, to do us a favour. We just took matters into our own hands and got the result that we needed. So that was pleasing as well. So let's look ahead to the games coming up uh, overnight. Hard to believe the World Cup continues, to be honest. It feels like we almost need just to... We, we need to exhale for 24 hours, but no, we don't get that long. And I tell you what, it's maybe one of the best groups of the tournament because we're at 2 a.m. Australian Eastern time, Croatia-Belgium and Canada-Morocco. So as it stands, Croatia and Morocco, four points each. Belgium on three. They've got a win, and Canada's mathematically eliminated, but... They don't want to leave empty-handed. So which two teams do you see going through? Croatia, Morocco, Belgium. Three must go into two. Scott, who you got? Oh, I'm going to upset a lot of my uh, Croatian friends here. And I, I just think Belgium might get the job done Ooh. and get that victory um, in the other game. Look, I, look, Canada been decent, haven't they? But look, I, I just think Morocco. I think, I think Morocco will get something out of that with what they need. Um, to make sure that, that they, they advance in that in that game. It might be a draw in that game, um, but they're going to need that at least, I think. But, yeah, look, I think there has been a lot of talk of upset in the Belgium camp, but I still think they've got a lot of quality. And does Lukaku come back in? 
we don't know we don't know what the situation there if he's fit yet um does he make an impact off the bench who knows uh, but i just think with the qualities that they still possess um i, I still fancy them to win this one yeah, I, I agree with you on the Morocco front. I think they'll maybe they won't win because, as you mentioned, Canada's been good in their first two games, even though they haven't had the results to show. But I think Morocco will get the job done in that game. But I actually think Croatia will win against Belgium. I think that the pressure that that Belgian team's under, I think that it'll it'll prove too much. And I think yeah, Croatia will top the group. Well, that would be a massive favourite for Morocco if Croatia does beat Belgium because it means the Moroccans would go through regardless of if they even lose to Canada. So we'll see how that shakes out. Then at 6am, Japan against Spain and Costa Rica against Germany. Uh, The two heavyweights now looking well-placed here. However, Germany went into their final World Cup game against South Korea four years ago and stacked it, needing to win to go through. Do either of you see Japan doing what they did to Germany? And this time they get something off Spain, or alternatively, do you see Costa Rica replicating what South Korea were able to do four years ago and somehow get something off the Germans? Look, for me, it was an absolute shock off the back of the 7-0 drumming Costa Rica had to go and beat Japan, who'd just beaten uh, the Germans as well. So this, this, this group itself is unpredictable, to say the least. I, I think the Japanese can get something from from the, the the game against Spain as well. It'll be a difficult game for Spain. Uh, look, and I think a draw is enough for, for Spain to, to qualify for the next phase. Um, I'm going to have to ask you, though, Teo, in terms of if the Germans were to win and Japan were to get that draw, where would that finish? Where Who would go through within those two? If they draw, Germany would have to win by two clear goals. Right. So they'd only have to win by two against Costa Rica. Japan would be on four. Germany would be on four. Germany's only one goal behind Japan at the moment. Yeah, well, that's where it becomes sticky for me because I can see a draw in that Spain-Japan game, but Germany's still getting the job done against Costa Rica. But do they have enough in the locker there? Uh, in terms of goal difference to, to get through in the group. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that, um, yeah, I can't see Japan beating Spain, as you mentioned, a draw maybe, but I still probably think that Spain will win that game. But, you know, the way that Costa Rica plays so defensively, I think that it's going to be, you know, 90 minutes of relentless German attack against the, that defence. And I think that yeah, Germany will win this game comfortably. So for me, it's going to be Spain-Germany progress. I mean, let's not rule out the perhaps the most outrageous scenario, which would be Spain beats Japan, Costa Rica draws with Germany, and Costa Rica goes through <laughs> with a negative six goal difference. Wow. <laughs> so we can't rule out Costa Rica incredibly, no. even though they have one goal for and seven against. That's what's marvellous about the World Cup. And you know what? It is a marvellous World Cup for Australian fans because we will be back playing against Argentina at 6am on Sunday morning Uh Tommy Orr, Scott McDonald, thanks for your time this morning on the Gagan Pod. Enjoy a few days uh, of World Cup football without the tension of watching Australia, and we'll uh, do it all again in a few days. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, a big thanks to Scott McDonald and Tommy Orr, our guests today on the Gagan Pod, which is dropping every day during the World Cup. So make sure you hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate us five stars while you're there. If the World Cup isn't enough of a football fix for you, the WSL continues live and exclusive on Optus Sport as well. Amy Duggan will be back in the host chair for the Gegen Pod for the next couple of drops, so make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss one. I've been your host, Teo Pelizzeri. This has been the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Gegen Pod.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.